welcome back. Um, thank you for being here. Today is Wednesday, September 2nd, uh, and uh, time rolls along. We're in the last uh, third of the year now. So today, continuing the reading of Sutta Nipata in Chapter 3, Mahavaga, here, finally we finished Sabya Sutta, and going to read Sela Sutta, S-E-L-A, Sela Sutta, is um, Mahavaga chapter uh, Sutta 7. And you'll see some, I see, um, a number of things are going on here. Uh, first, let me read Tanasaro's uh, brief, brief synopsis of it. He said, Sela, the Brahmin, so another Brahmin, praises the Buddha to see how the latter responds to praise. And so you're going to see um, some text in this sutta that um, looks exactly like Sabya Sutta. In fact, some of what Sela ends up saying to Gautama in praise of him is exactly the same text as from the other Sabya Sutta. And some of the text associated with uh, how the Buddha Dhamma is described, the teaching system, by Sela uh, and others, is exactly the same as some very stock phrases that we'll see in many Pali Canon Suttas. And then, too, there'll be a discussion of what's called the 32 signs of a Buddha, physical characteristics. And I'll look at the Wikipedia page down the line. We may end up two weeks on this sutta, <clears throat> or not. It's not that the content here is that heavy, um, but some of the meta-analytical themes, like um, the authenticity, or the veracity, the truthfulness, the accuracy, the um, trustworthiness of the Pali Canon, uh, is an issue when you're seeing, when I'm seeing, for me, when I'm seeing a sutta supposedly being the um, um, transcribed speech of Brahman Sela saying that exactly the same words as the transcription, presumably, or the words of Sabia the Brahman, or some others, and then their discussion of um, not only Gautama, but also Buddha Dhamma uh, being stock phrases found in many Pali Canon suttas. Um, how much of this is add-on from later uh, sources? Later meaning 300, 500 years after Gautama's departure. Basically, as far as I remember, the Pali Canon was originally memorized by one of the early Buddhist councils, um, like after Gautama's death, or Parinibban, uh, was the monks getting together and collecting somehow, without written down, with no, no written form at that point, uh, their remembrances of the of Gautama's encounters with many people doing many teachings. So, as far as I recall, <laughs> um, the Pali Canon uh, is the product of two or three hundred years of a student of teacher to student transmission by memory of monks in the Sangha. And so, 
it's inevitable that uh, there's some sort of lost, <laughs> that there's mythologization or stock phrasings, stock phrases describing Buddha, describing um, Buddha Dhamma um, in praise or teaching, uh, talking about the path or the, um, the nature of uh, this dispensation. Uh, in in or, or Brahmins utterances utterances of various Brahmins being the same in multiple suttas, and then you say, ah, well, you know, they're just using a copy and paste method. Well, yeah, maybe. Uh, and then also with the thirty-two characteristics of the Buddha, some of it's quite fanciful, and you'll see some uh, one particularly fanciful line here in the sutta that makes makes me cringe a bit and think, oh, is this uh, fantasy land? Well, um, discernment <laughs> is key, and that, indeed, there are uh, words put into Sela's mouth here that were put into <laughs> the other suttas from other Brahmins, presumably, which um, is very unlikely that they said the exact same things, and the stock phrases of others describing Buddha Dhamma being very unlikely that they all thought the same words, or the th they all had the same phrases in mind describing Buddha Dhamma, and the physical characteristics of a Buddha, 32 characteristics, being partly mythology or hagiography, sort of, um, hagiography is not John Hagee, it's a, <clears throat> a kind of embellished, um, devotional, more love over wisdom, devotional-based, uh, biography of saints and sages and teachers and founders. Uh, it, it, despite that, uh, I don't think it interferes with the core uh, teachings of Gautama at all. And the Pali Canon is rich and filled with um, important teaching on the path and what to be avoided and what to be cultivated and the nature of uh, the goal and the nature of the way to the goal and the nature of release and uh, conduct and uh, karma and uh, even important cosmology. Yet, yes, there will be some stock phrases found in many suttas that I guess were mnemonic tools, tools um, like Johnny Mnemonic, um, used by the monks over the two or three hundred years before they set down the remembrances of Buddha's encounters onto palm leaf uh, palm leaves, you know, dried palm leaves, uh, how the early Pali Canon was written, uh, three, 200, 300 years after Gautama. I'm not a Buddhist scholar, there may be some details of that mistaken, but uh, we'll see some of that here. And so again, we have a discussion between Gautama and some of the local Brahmins, um, many of whom were quite receptive. So the before we go to the sutta, I want to first read from Wisdom Lib um, definitions. Uh, first, Kenya, the um, ascetic, and then Sela, the Brahmin. And so Kenya, Kenya, and Shela, these were friends. And they're the main characters approaching Gautama here. And it is interesting to see um, the ascetic or the religious, the the yogi, yogic culture, yogi culture, the renunciate culture of the time of Gautama 2,500 years ago, there were many options um, and uh, much going on. And some of it seems to be fanciful, yeah. Um, and yet that's not the whole. 
you know, there may be some applique uh, painting <laughs> added on by uh, those who were trying to remember things for 300 years. Um, and there may be some carryover of um, quaint formulations of great man, great, man, great beings uh, of local Hindu culture or Vedantic echoes. Um, but that doesn't matter <laughs> to me because um, there is um, a beingness that needs work and there is righteous work and a righteous consequence of good work and therefore what appears to be a path and um, teaching that uh, by usage can be known to be uh, true and important and helpful. So wisdom lived first on Sela, then on, or first on Kenya, uh, and then Sela himself. <clears throat> so Kenya was a Jatila, or from that group, that area, Jatila. He lived in Apana, and when the Buddha once stayed there with 1,350 monks, and you'll see some of the numbers are different in the month. The, oh, everything's uh, kind of a little funky with when you get into some of the specifics. Uh, the sutta said 1,250. Here it says 1,350. Okay, so something like that. Buddha stayed there in Apana with 1,350 or 1,250 monks. <clears throat> then Kenya visited the, visited the Buddha, bringing various kinds of drinks, which he gave to him and to the monks. The following day, he invited the whole company, uh, meaning the 1,000-plus monks or sangha, uh, to a meal and showed great hospitality. It was as a result of the drinks, juice drinks, offered by Kenya that the Buddha laid down a rule as to which drinks were permissible for monks and which were not. And that's again in, in line with how much of the vinya or the rules were formulated uh, by uh, the needs uh, of the moment as time passed and encounters and situations uh, developed naturally where either uh, problems were created <laughs> by the monks, by guys who were not quite uh, sincere in their presence in the Sangha, uh, and or questions of conduct arose that there was no answer for, brought to the brought to the Buddha. Uh, he ended up formulating rules um, along the uh, on the fly along the way, and so it is permissible to have juice afternoon, but only some kinds of juice or something. Um, and so this is how that rule um, developed. And when I was living in Thailand, it. Um, uh, Buddha Dasa's place in Chaya in the south, um, there was some kind of drinks uh, available for us poor foreigners <laughs> who are not used to one meal a day, uh, some, some very light refreshment uh, in uh, five o'clock or something, uh, akin to this juice drink. According to Sutta Nepata, it was owing to the elaborate preparations made by Kenya for the meal to the Buddha and the Sangha that the Brahmin Sela, friend and counselor of Kenya, came to discover the Buddha's presence in Apana. Apana. The result was the conversion and ordination of Sela and his 300 pupils. So he was a Brahmin teacher in his own right. Buddha Gosha, in the commentary, says that Kenya was a Mahasala Brahmin and that he became a Jatila, 
which is a type of ascetic, I think, with the object of protecting his wealth. How about that? He bought some land from the king and built his hermitage there and became the protector, or Nisaya, of 1,000 families. In his hermitage was a palm tree which yielded a golden nut each day, a nut of gold. Kenya was a yellow-robed ascetic by day. By night, he enjoyed the pleasures of the senses. He's my kind of guy. On his first visit to the Buddha, he took 500 pingo loads of badarapana, or grape juice. And so, he was a wealthy Brahmin, and at the time, there was the option for wealthy Brahmins to, um, to kind of mix it up. Um, like uh, Osho's talking of uh, Zorba the Buddha. Uh, he was Zorba de by the day, and uh, or, or Buddha, or uh, Yogin, Yogin by day, and um, a common man, <laughs> uh, worldling, worldly uh, sense enjoyer uh, by night. And so he bought land, built a, you know, it's a little bit like um, if you want to protect your wealth, start a religion. <laughs> start a church, you know, build a church to protect your wealth. So he did something like that. Meanwhile, he was a decent fellow and very generous. And you can see in many cases where Dana is discussed in the Pali Canon or in the commentaries talking of the backstories of the Brahmins who were extremely generous to Gautama, um, they had a lot of money and they gave a lot away. And that was just right. You know, the more you have, the more you need to pass through uh, in, to, not, <clears throat> to not, not get trouble. And Ra, just in line with Ra's teaching that uh, things come through, not to the one on the positive path. And so to the one on the positive path with love, wisdom, balance, truth, and goodness, um, we, we need to remain <clears throat> somewhat as a conduit where <clears throat> blessings come to and through us to others, not getting stuck in hoarding or possession, possessiveness or control. <clears throat> and it's just, it's exactly the, the, um, the lifestyle correlate to the teaching on the way of um, developing and unblocking lower triad chakras. Ross said that the main work on the lower triad is clearance of blockage, that's called healing. <laughs> healing by balance. Healing and balance. Healing the lower triad blockages by balanced development of love wisdom, 4.5 and 4.5.6. But some energy needs to be retained by those chakras for maintenance of them and grounding or anchoring in the incarnation, I'd say. Which means that some degree of what could be called distortion is um, uh, unremovable. Um, by the very fact of continued 3D incarnation. Continued 3D incarnation demanding, at the minimum, uh, some energy held in the lower triad, in the lower chakras, which is some degree of lower triad blockage, um, means that there are certain distortions that, uh, cannot, that, that simply come along with incarnation no matter how purified the being is. And that's very much akin to the fact that those on the positive path need to keep something for ourselves. You can give away everything, but if you really give away everything, you won't be eating either, and you'll have no robe, and you'll have no shelter. And so if you have no robe and you have no shelter, 
and you have no food or water because you give everything away, you will die pretty quickly. So some degree of, um, of wise, <clears throat> balanced self-interest is critical, of course. So anyway, he was a yellow-robed ascetic by day, enjoying the pleasures of the senses by night. Uh, meanwhile, extremely generous. And the last note is that he's mentioned as an example of one of the eight classes of ascetics. This is where the commentary or the um, Abhidhamma is very useful, the explaining the culture around Gautama those who maintain wife and children. So he um, had a wife, had children, had property in trust um, you know, for his church or his organization. And he was um, both uh, a yogin and a sensualist. That's very interesting. Then his friend, the uh, other Brahmin, Sela, <clears throat> the write-up from Wisdom Lib, Lib is... Sela was a Brahmin of Anguttarapa, Anguttarapa. He was a great friend of Kenya, the Jatila, which is, I guess, that class of ascetic, and visited him when Kenya was making preparations to entertain the Buddha. Having heard the word Buddha from Kenya, Sela was filled with joy and fortitude and went with his 250 pupils, other account is 300, to visit the Buddha in the woodland near Apana. There he observed on the person of the Buddha the 32 marks of a great being, uh, except for two. The vis, meaning namely, hidden privates, meaning his male genital organ sheathed, and the long tongue. Well, and here's where things get a little odd, but you'll see it in the sutta when I read it. The Buddha read his thoughts, and this is an important point, is that when you see the sutta and Gautama demonstrates his hidden uh, lingam, and long tongue, it is a magical display for Sela. The Buddha read his thoughts and contrived by Iddi power, Iddi is the Pali of Siddhi, meaning magical power, that Sela should be satisfied on these points as well. And it's referred to in other places. Sela then praised the Buddha in a series of verses, some of which are exactly the same as Sabya, and asked questions of him. At the end of the talk, Sela entered the order with his pupils, and at the end of a week he attained Arahanship. So, already a yogin, yogin, already doing practice, already being quite a renunciate and a teacher in his own right, it only took a week of hard practice uh, for Sela and, I believe, all his pupils to attain Arahant. It goes on, In the time of uh, Padumutara Buddha, Sela had been the leader of the same guild of 300 men, and together with them had built a Parivena, which is kind of a shelter, for the Buddha and done many good acts. As a result of these, they received the Ehibiku Pabaja. Ehibiku means come bhikkhu, um, going forth or um, commission to become a monk, permission. Uh, Ehibiku means come bhikkhu, and Pabaja, pabaja um, is the going forth or um, entering, going forth from the homeless life into the renunciate life or into the Sangha formally. And so he received this Ehi Bhikkhu Pabhaja in this last life, either as Sela or the one before, but he certainly had a long history. I mean, you know, <laughs> the people who have very specific works to do on the planet, normally they're already doing them. And that doesn't mean that they're any better than anyone who doesn't have some specific public works to do. Not at all. Because the guy who has some public works to do 
in the last life was not. <laughs> and the one who has no public works doing in this lifetime, they're just in obscurity and nobody knows who they are. Meanwhile, they may have great wisdom or development or a lot to share. They may well have been on public stage in past life. Fine. That's the way it goes. So the guy on the public stage is no better than the one who's in the audience. Many in the audience are more developed than the one on stage, commonly. I mean, I've seen it at UFO and spiritual conferences for decades, uh, at least in the, 80s, in the 80s and 90s. And the one on the public stage uh, probably was a private citizen in a past life, and the private citizen of today, or the one who has significant development living in obscurity, uh, may well have had a public works role um, in a previous incarnation. That's the way it goes. So any person on stage who thinks he's better than you because you're not is deluded. And anyone in the audience who thinks that their one on stage is doing their work and I'm not is also deluded because there are some on stage who are screwing the world up and damaging people. And there are some in the audience that um, are moving right along with their catalyst, efficient use of catalyst, and um, will 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 rightly see that this life was a great success after death on the life review time, while the one on stage screwed up mightily. So uh, there is this regular alternation, commonly for wanderers, of lifetimes in which there's both uh, public action, public works projects, and then followed by lives of retirement <laughs> the whole life uh, as a householder or whatever uh, without any uh, public spotlight. So in any case, this uh, fellow Sela, who had a public works project as the leader of a guild of several hundred fellows doing serious practice and teaching, had been doing work like that in the past. Uh, and yet people who don't have some kind of thing like that commonly think they should but that's not true, commonly, that they should. Commonly, they don't realize that <clears throat> living off the stage, or backstage, uh, in the audience, or doing their own thing wherever they are, without being known publicly by much of anyone, um, is part of their life purpose. And that the, they don't need to be doing something in a public way. So, I mean, <clears throat> the, one, the ones who have some... For whom a visible public role is part of their life plan, their dharma, the dhamma of the lifetime. Commonly, they're already doing it. And commonly, the people who are not um, don't need to. <laughs> but they, if you want, if you have ambition, then you might think you want it or you should. So anyway, he had uh, been doing this spiritual teaching, working, helping, developing in past lives too. Then finally, Ma Sela, mentioned as a teacher of Suganda Terra, is probably identical with this Sela. So Maha means old or great. Maha, Mahatma, great Atman, uh, Maha Sela. This is the term for some of the elder Arahants called Maha, Maha Terra. So Sela becoming a bhikkhu, then an Arahant, later called Maha Sela, presumably, was a teacher of another elder. And Sela lived to the age of 120. Ba boom. So, <laughs> 2,500 years ago, uh, he lived to age 120. Uh, sometimes 120 is also um, a stock phrase. 
and doesn't mean 120, it means a very long age, a long you know, lifetime. In any case, that's some of the background on Sela and Kenya, and that's actually kind of interesting. Now, that's the intro. Let me read the sutta through. Uh, it happens to be the same as another sutta, Majima Nikaya 92. It's a kind of long-winded sutta, I must say. And it's the notes are interesting. I don't think it's as interesting as a Sabya Sutta, but um, it, it's a little bit more of a teaching on the social, the, the religious culture of the time. So, let me go. I have heard, or thus have I heard, on one occasion, while the Blessed One was wandering on a tour among the Anguttara, Anguttarapans, Anguttarapans, with a large sangha of monks, approximately 1,250 monks in all, he arrived at an Anguttarapan town named Apana. Kenya, the coiled-hair ascetic, heard it and said, quote, Gautama, the contemplative, a son of the Sakyans, gone forth from the Sakyan clan, on a wandering tour among the Anguttarapans with a large sangha of monks, approximately 1,250 monks in all, has arrived at Apana. And of that Master Gautama, this fine reputation has spread. Quote, he is indeed a blessed one, worthy and rightly self-awakened, consummate in clear knowing and conduct, well gone, an expert with regard to the cosmos, cosmology, unexcelled trainer of people fit to be tamed. Not everyone is fit for development. Teacher of devas and human beings, awakened, blessed. He makes known, having realized it through direct knowledge, this world with its devas, maras, and brahmas, this generation of humans with its contemplatives and brahmins, its rulers and common folk. He explains the dhamma admirable in the beginning, admirable in the middle, admirable in the end. He expounds the holy life both in its particulars and in its essence, entirely perfect, surpassingly pure. It is good to see such a worthy one. That's indeed. So, <clears throat> Kenya, the coiled hair ascetic, so even though he's a, <clears throat> a sensualist by night, um, he can see who's who. And he can appreciate um, uh, a great one. So, Kenya, the coiled hair ascetic, went to the Blessed One and, on arrival, exchanged courteous greetings with him. After an exchange of friendly greetings and courtesies, he sat to one side. As he was sitting there, the Blessed One instructed, urged, roused, and encouraged him with a talk on Dhamma. Then, Kenya, the coiled-hair ascetic, instructed, urged, roused, and encouraged with the Blessed One's talk on Dhamma, said to him, Master Gautama, may the Blessed One acquiesce to my meal tomorrow, together with the Sangha of monks, Ask, inviting him to a meal. When this was said, the Blessed One said to him, this Sangha of monks is large, Kenya, approximately 1,250 monks in all, and you are strongly confident in Brahmins. <laughs> Meaning, I got a big group. It takes a big meal to serve, to, to take care of this big group. And I guess you're quite confident that your brethren, your Brahmins, your community, will like to do that, even though we're of a different group and a religious lineage. A second time, a third time, Kenya the coiled-haired ascetic said to the Blessed One, Master Gautama, 
even though the Sangha of monks is large, approximately 1,250 monks in all, and I am strongly confident in Brahmins, may Master Gautama acquiesce to my meal tomorrow, together with the Sangha of monks. So he asked three times. The Blessed One acquiesced with silence. <clears throat> then Kenya, the coiled-haired ascetic, understanding the Blessed One's acquiescence, got up from his seat and returned to his own ashram. On arrival, he addressed his friends and companions, his relatives and kinsmen, saying, Listen to me, venerable friends and companions, relatives and kinsmen, I have invited Gautama the Contemplative together with a Sangha of monks, approximately 1,250 monks in all, for the meal tomorrow. Give me bodily assistance for that. And they said, As you say, Master. His friends and companions, relatives and kinsmen, responded to him. Some of them dug out ovens, some split wood, some washed dishes, and some set out a water pot, some arranged seats, while Kenya, the coiled heresetic, arranged a pavilion of garlands himself. So, even though they were Brahmins of a different lineage, or Brahmins, which is a different lineage, uh, they followed their teacher, and they respected him, and uh, complied, and they prepared for that meal. Now, on that occasion, Sela the Brahmin was staying at Apana. He was a master of the three Vedas, with their vocabularies, liturgy, phonology, etymology, and histories as a fifth. So these are the five uh, learnings of the three Vedas. Vocabulary uh, terms, liturgy, chants and songs, and I guess ritual. Phonology, um, phonology is the pronunciation. Etymology, the word roots, and histories of the Vedas. He's skilled also in philology, more about linguistic history and, and word, word development, and grammar. He was fully versed in cosmology and in the marks of a great man. He was instructing 300 young Brahmins in the Vedic mantras. Then, as he, surrounded by 300 young Brahmins, was walking and wandering about to exercise his legs, he arrived at the ashram of Kenya, the coiled hair ascetic, he saw that some of the people in the ashram were digging out ovens, some were splitting wood, dot, 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 meaning all the other things they needed to do to prepare, while Kenya, the coiled hair ascetic, was arranging a pavilion of garlands himself. On seeing this, he said to Kenya, the coiled hair ascetic, Could it be that Kenya, the coiled hair ascetic, is giving a son or daughter in marriage? Or is he setting up a great sacrifice? Or is Senia Bimbisara, the king of Magadha, Invited for tomorrow together with his army? What's going on here? What's such a big... What's, what's all the commotion? <clears throat> Kenya, Kenya says, No, Selah, it's not that I'm giving a son or daughter in marriage, nor that Senia Bimbisara, the king of Magadha, is invited for tomorrow together with his army, but I am setting up a great sacrifice. There is Gautama the Contemplative, a son of the Sakyans gone forth from the Sakyan clan who, on a wandering tour among the Angutarapans with a large Sangha of monks, approximately 1250 monks in all, has arrived at Apana. And of that, Master Gautama, this fine reputation has spread. He is indeed a blessed one, worthy and rightly self-awakened, consummate and clear, knowing and conduct, well gone, an expert with regard to the cosmos, unexcelled trainer of people fit to be tamed, teacher of devas and human beings, awakened 
blessed. He has been invited by me for the meal tomorrow, together with the Sangha of monks. <clears throat> and Sela perks up and says, Did you say awakened, Master Kenya? I said awakened, Master Sela. Did you say awakened, Master Kenya? I said awakened, Master Sela. Then the thought occurred to Sela the Brahmin, Even just this word, awakened, is hard to come by in the world. Awakened. Now, these thirty-two marks of a great man, Maharaj, <laughs> Mahapurush, you'll see uh, later, these thirty-two marks of, um, let me just see some word I'd like to use here. Yeah, it's Mahapurush Lakshana. Let's just say Mahapurush. Thirty-two marks of the Mahapurush have come down in our mantras for a great, meaning it comes from the Vedas, for a great man endowed with them, two future courses and no other exist. If he inhabits a home, he will become a wheel-turning king, Chakravartan, Chakravartan Raja, righteous, a king through righteousness, a conqueror of the four quarters, a stabilizer of his countryside endowed with the seven treasures. The seven treasures are these. <laughs> now, I don't think he'd be thinking this to himself, but this is how somebody memorized it. The seven treasures are these. The wheel treasure, the elephant treasure, the horse treasure, the jewel treasure, the woman treasure, the householder treasure, and the advisor treasure as the seventh. Meaning, uh, the treasure of such a great man who can either become a Buddha or a world-turning monarch has seven treasures. Uh, his seven treasures includes advisor treasure, meaning he's got good advisors. <laughs> Mm, we could look at the world today with its politicians and their advisors and uh, see the opposite of treasure. We will have a thousand sons, he will have a thousand sons, valiant, heroic in body, crushers of enemy armies. He will dwell, having conquered the earth to the edge of the sea by means of Dhamma, without rod, without sword. So even though his thousand sons are crushers of enemy armies, uh, he will conquer without sword. Mm. But if he goes forth from the home life into homelessness, the other course, he will become a worthy one, rightly self-awakened, with his roof opened in the world. This phrase is very um, important, and it's note three. Panasaro wrote, To be a wheel-turner, Chakravartin, meant in ancient Indian parlance, to establish rule over the entire, entire wheel of the eight directions. There's also ten directions. The sutta containing the Buddha's first sermon, in stating that the sermon set the Dhamma wheel rolling, Dhamma Chaka, thus borrowing, borrowed this image to make the point that the Buddha's Dhamma ruled in all directions. So there's the rulership of a temporal worldly king or leader. There's the rule or per, uh, pervasion pervasion, pervasive, pervasive spread or total spread of a teaching too. And so uh, Buddha uh, Dhamma Chaka is a common, one of the main Buddhist symbols or icons of Buddhism is a wheel, eightfold wheel, eight-spoked wheel. Then the Dhamma wheel is a wheel in another sense. In ancient Indian texts, a wheel was the permutations of two more variables, and this is another matter of <laughs> uh, 
the Dhamma wheel in Buddha's first sermon lists the 12 permutations of the two variables, the Four Noble Truths, which is stress or dukkha, its cause, the ending of stress, and the way to the ending of dukkha, and then three levels of knowledge appropriate to each. Uh, that's not actually what I wanted to read. Um, it was the note before. <laughs> uh, where uh, from Daniak, the Cattleman Sutta, Sutta Nipata 1-2, we did a long, long ago, the idea of his uh, mind open, uh, his roof opened in the world. This is not simply where Tanasaro wrote that open means having a mind not covered or concealed by craving defilement or ignorance, craving Tana, defilement, um, uh, I forgot the translation of defilement, mm, not Ashraba, but uh, the other. Anyway, neither craving defilement or, or harmful tendencies nor avidya ignorance. Um, I would say that his roof opened means that the seven-dimensional or seven-chakra energy uh, system from root to crown is open, is, has, has fully desubjectivized, is fully non-dual, is fully uh, at one with uh, totality or creation. The roof opened means that the higher, what, what had been a barrier, an upper barrier to experience, the upper barrier being the roof to the experience of living in a home, the home being a body, but also being a sense of self. The uh, ignorance-based <laughs> experience, a vidya-based, uh, you know, craving, tana, a, a vidya, ignorance, uh, desire, and therefore um, dukkha-based experience of separative identity uh, akin to living in a home, a separative subjectivity, is ended with the stripping off of the roof in which uh, one's uppermost uh, portion of um, dwelling, uppermost dwelling por or portion of the previous dwelling has been removed. And therefore, um, in a certain way, <laughs> this is the origin of sky-clad. So sky-clad yogi means naked ascetic. Sky-clad doesn't wear human clothes, he only wears the sky. Uh, his clothing is uh, totality. There's no clothing because the body is open to totality being naked. But the other root of sky clad for the insiders is uh, having the roof taken out, which in Chinese Buddhism is akin to having the bottom of the bucket knocked, knocked away as well. So the bucket um, has its bottom uh, broken. The bucket, the broken bucket is the ending of the false uh, illusory subjectivity separativeness of ignorance-based experience. And then um, one lives without a roof. Um, 
uh, without dualistic, subjective, um, separative experience of, of identity, free from separative identity. Um, that's his roof opened in the world, I would say. <laughs> yes, it's related to freedom from uh, craving and uh, defilements and ignorance, of course. But it's actually very esoteric, I believe. That's how it started, according to those I know. Going on, so Sela returns and says, Master, Se Master Kenya, where is he staying now, that Master Gautama, worthy and rightly self-awakened? When this was said, Kenya, the coiled-haired ascetic, lifted his right arm and said to Sela the Brahman, There, by the dark green line of the forest. Then Sela the Brahman, together with three hundred young Brahmins, headed toward the Blessed One. Then he addressed the young Brahmins and said to them, Come noiselessly, masters, face placing a footstep in a footstep. These blessed ones, meaning the Sangha, are hard to approach, like a lion wandering alone. They were known for being quiet. And when I engage Gautama the Contemplative in council, don't break into the middle of my talk. Wait until the end of my talk. And so I believe that among communities of renunciates, the Buddhist Sangha was known for their silence. And uh, in my mind, you can't beat that. So that was a mark of their, their discipline and stilled, um, stilled uh, mind uh, beingness. Going on, then Sela the Brahmin went to the Blessed One and, on arrival, exchanged courteous greetings with him. After an exchange of friendly greetings and courtesies, he sat to one side. As he was sitting there, he looked for the thirty-two marks of a great man in the Blessed One's body. He saw most of the thirty-two marks of a Mahapurush in the Blessed One's body, except for two. About the two marks, he was doubtful, uncertain, undecided, and he wasn't reassured. About the male organ being in a sheath, and about the size of the tongue. And here, here comes the paragraph that's uh, cringeworthy. The thought occurred to the Blessed One, Sela the Brahman sees most of my marks of a Mahapurush, except for two. About the two marks, he is doubtful, uncertain, undecided, and isn't reassured. About the male organ being in a sheath, and about the size of the tongue. So, the Blessed One willed a willing of power, idi, meaning he did a magical uh, apparition. For Sela, he willed a willing of power, such that Sela the Brahmin saw that the Blessed One's male organ was in a sheath, and then, extending his tongue, the Blessed One licked both ear holes and nostrils back and forth and covered his whole forehead with his tongue. <coughs> <coughs> All right. So, like a big lion, he uh, licked both his ear holes and nostrils back and forth and covered his whole forehead with his tongue. Right. And so, that was a magical display. Uh, presumably, to me, uh, not the whole Sangha saw that. But, yeah, sure, he could do it. No problem. Uh, whether it was objective or subjective or fantasy or not, um, hard to say. But it's certainly doable to, for him. Then the thought occurred to Sela the Brahmin, Gautama, the contemplatives, 32 marks of a Mahapurush are complete and not incomplete. But I don't know whether he is awakened or not. 
Still, I have heard the aged line of teachers, along in their years, say that blessed ones, meaning those that are, you know, finished with the finished with the great work, worthy and rightly self-awakened, reveal themselves when their praise is spoken. What if I were to praise Gautama the Contemplative face to face with fitting verses? So, Sailor the Brahmin praised the Blessed One face to face with fitting verses. <clears throat> and uh, many, many follow now. Perfect your body, shining well, well born, lovely to look at. Blessed One, you have a golden complexion, you have white teeth, you're vigorous, the characteristics of a well born man. All the marks of a great man are all present in your body. Clear your eyes, good your face, imposing, splendid, straight upright. In the midst of a community of contemplatives, you shine like the sun. A monk with skin resembling gold is admirable to look at. But what use is the contemplative state for you, so, super, so superlative in appearance? You deserve to be a king, a wheel-turner, lord of charioteers, conqueror of the four quarters, sovereign lord of the Jambu Grove, Jambu Dvipa, that's earth. <clears throat> Noble warriors, feudal lords, kings are your devotees. King of kings, monarch of human beings, rule Gautama. And Gautama is supposed to say, I am a king. Sela, a Dhamma king, unexcelled. I turn the wheel with Dhamma, the wheel whose turning can't be stopped. Sela returns and replies, You claim to be rightly self-awakened, a Dhamma king unexcelled. But who, master, is your general, the disciple right below the teacher? Who keeps rolling the Dhamma wheel set rolling by you? The Buddha claimed to reply, <clears throat> the wheel set rolling by me, the unexcelled Dhamma wheel, Dhamma Chaka, Sariputta, Sariputra, Sariputta, keeps it rolling, taking after the Tathagata, the such one, such come, thus, thus come, such come one. What should be directly known has been directly known. What should be developed, developed. What should be abandoned, abandoned. It's a very important phrase. Uh, spiritual uh, uh, on spiritual path <laughs> there's that which we need to know or that which we that that will bring that that associates with liberation um a knowing the knowing associated with liberation that's called gnosis or yana um or enlightenment or awakening what should be known has been known and then qualities of uh, conduct and mind thoughts you know speech thought word and deed mind speech, word, and activity, behavior. What should be developed, developed. What should be abandoned, abandoned. Therefore, I am awakened, Brahman. Subdue your doubt about me. Be decided, Brahman, to Sela. It's hard often to gain sight of the rightly self-awakened. I am one whose appearance in the world is hard often to gain. Rightly self-awakened, an arrow remover, unexcelled. Brahma become, without compare, crusher of Mara's ten armies. Having overmastered all enemies, I rejoice with no fear from anywhere. 
So liberation as complete destruction of fear or complete freedom from triggering triggerability to fear. Sela then to his following, his followers said, <clears throat> Observe carefully, masters, how he speaks this one with eyes, <laughs> the one with eyes. Arrow remover, Mahavira, great hero. He roars like a lion in the forest. Brahma become, without compare, crusher of Mara's armies, who, even one of dark birth, meaning dark skin, on seeing him, who would not have confidence? Whoever wants to, whoever wants to may follow me. Whoever doesn't may go. I will here go forth in the presence of the one of foremost discernment. So discernment is critical. So he basically said, uh, I'm no longer leading you fellows. I'm following him. <laughs> and if you want to come with me, come along. And if you don't, don't. Then his following said, If, Master, thus you delight in the message of the rightly self-awakened one, we too will go will here go forth in the presence of the one of foremost discernment. Selah said, These three hundred Brahmins request, with hands palm to palm over the heart, we will follow the holy life, blessed one, in your presence. So they are requesting ordination. Buddha replies, The holy life is well expounded to be seen here and now, timeless, where the going forth, Babaja, is not in vain for a heedful person who trains. Then Sela the Brahmin, together with his following, obtained the Babaja, or going forth, in the Blessed One's presence. He obtained acceptance and became part of the Sangha. Well, before I go to the next section, I want to say that this uh, reply, the holy life is well expounded, meaning Gautama has explained the path well, which starts with the basic Four Noble Truths, right? The condition is uh, the nature of dukkha, or the inevitable stress of um, incarnation in the octave under the sway of ignorance, craving, and uh, conceit. So, with ignorance and restlessness and conceit, with craving, clinging, attachment, and all sorts of uh, defilements and effluence, uh, all sorts of patterns of uh, hunger, thirst for becoming and non-becoming and sensual desire and all that. Uh, that's the condition. Uh, and that is the basis of dukkha. And yet there is an end to it, and uh, where there's a cause to it, and then there's an end to it, and there's a path to the end to it. That's the holy life well expounded, the Four Noble Truths as the, the found, a foundation of Gautama's Buddha Dhamma, uh, holy life or the spiritual path well expounded, to be seen, to be known, here and now, and timeless. So the timelessness of here and now, or seeing the timeless path, or knowing the way from here to liberation, uh, one must know it here, here and now, right? Be here now, see it, know it, and yet it's timeless too, and it certainly leads beyond time. It leads beyond time and space 
bound incarnation. And then for the one, um, the going forth or pabaja or becoming a monk or entering the Sangha or becoming a Buddhist, that itself doesn't save anybody anyway. What does is then when there's a heedful person who trains. Careful, heedful is the, we, we went, this, went over this a long time ago. I forgot the word, but this is a critical quality, heedful. <laughs> it's the basis of why anyone would try to be mindful. Mindful meaning, you know, sati, anapanasati, um, uh, aware of what's going on rather than being submerged in identification. Meaning, the difference between uh, you make me so angry, I'm so angry. Or, strong anger arises in this mind. <laughs> With mindfulness, there's a detachment that, acknowledge, that, that recognizes what's going on and at some level recognizes that, that uh, if anyone or anything, I'm the one that's watching the mind. Now, Buddhism would knock that out of the water too. Hinduism or Vedanta might say, you know, uh, the self or the capital S is the one that sees, is the one that, that sees and knows, distinct from what it is that's seen and known. The one that uses my body-spirit complex, the one that uses the seven vehicles, the seven energy fields, seven chakras, seven dimensional bodies, the one that uses that is the one, or the logos. But ultimately, no name uh, fits perfectly, Buddhism would just drop all that and say, you know, <laughs> uh, you don't need to reify or, or concretize or uh, hypothesize uh, a one that does the work. Just do the work. And that's a heedful one who trains. But spiritual teaching and spiritual practice isn't what uh, does the work. It's the person who carefully uses them, uh, the heedful person who trains. This is a very important point that being careful, uh, knowing it's important to be careful, knowing it's important not to get into trouble, knowing it's important to, to be a bit careful in what we think, say, and do, um, because we don't want to make trouble. We can be making trouble for self and other, particularly for self, <laughs> you know? I mean, we make trouble for other and we're hurt, we make trouble for other, and that's certainly bad for them. Uh, what we take away is that we've now hurt ourselves too. And um, self-interest is just part of the um, inevitable sense of uh, subjective self that um, is not finished until one goes into seventh density or leaves the octave. So, okay, self-interest is inevitable. So don't don't freak it don't freak out on it but <clears throat> this phrase um, where the going forth is not in vain for a heedful person who trains I think is actually very important <coughs> so studying spiritual this and that spiritual teaching including channeling and this and that um, can be in vain <laughs> for the person who's not heedful for the person who's careless um, when the snake drinks water it turns to poison so the heedful person who knows they need to be tamed, like that phrase earlier in the sutta, um, fit to be tamed. Uh, what was that? 
Unexcelled trainer of people fit to be tamed. <laughs> trainer of people fit to be tamed. Not everybody's fit to be tamed. Tamed doesn't necessarily, doesn't mean here broken or demoralized or disempowered or mind controlled. No. <laughs> it means um, going from a wild to a workable condition. Like the ox herding pictures in Chinese Buddhism. Um, taming the wild beast, uh, bringing order and harmony and peace and balance and well-being to a disorderly mind <clears throat> that leads to harmful speech or disordered speech and potentially harmful behavior. And so uh, clearing up old wounding <laughs> is uh, a self-taming. The self-discipline of healing, the self-discipline of being willing to feel pain in the way of self-healing, not to make pain, but to accept and be willing to feel the pain that I'm carrying, this kind of thing. And so, um, this uh, phrase, I think, is very important. A uh, heedful person who trains and the value of, of self Taming, um, self-discipline, not non non-heavy-handed self-discipline. You know, love, wisdom-based self-discipline, which just means order your life. Don't be a mess. <laughs> your house shouldn't be a mess. Your car shouldn't be a mess. Your room shouldn't be a mess. Your clothes shouldn't be a mess. Your drawers shouldn't be a mess. I mean, if you like mess, go right ahead. But there is order, disorder. There's evil order, like a new world order. But there's a harmonious order um, from which the devas rejoice, <laughs> actually. The order, orderliness of a mind uh, self-trained to good conduct and service to other. That's orderly. And that's uh, when Ra talks about working through distortion leavings and lower triad blockage by way of love, wisdom, and balance. Um, they talk about the um, distillation of love light from um, random or um, disorderly uh, patterns of emotional charge, uh, you know, so-called uh, emotional charge, as um, non-ordered um, catalyst, ordering it in the way of um, developing love, wisdom, balance in response to the catalyst of the pain and confusion and emotional uh, distress of our mind. That's, very, that's an ordering process, but there's nothing manipulative or um, evil about it. Anyway, going on, and I think that, yeah, I will try to finish the sutta today. So, then as the night was ending, Kenya, the coiled hair ascetic, having had choice staple and non-staple foods prepared in his own ashram, announced the time to the Blessed One, it is time, Master Gautama, the meal is ready. So this is kind of the middle of the night uh, before the next day. Then, early in the morning, the Blessed One, after adjusting his lower robe and carrying his bowl and outer robe, went together with the Sangha of monks to Kenya's ashram. On arrival, he sat down on an arranged seat. Kenya, the coiled hair ascetic with his own hand, served and satisfied the Blessed One and the Sangha of monks with choice foods, uh, staple and non-staple foods, meaning uh, rice and other and things more exotic. Then, 
when the Blessed One had eaten and had rinsed his bowl and hands, Kania, the coiled-haired ascetic, took the lower seat and sat to one side. As he was sitting there, the Blessed One expressed approval of him with these verses, <clears throat> saying, uh, I think we might have to do a second week on this. <laughs> he didn't say that. I said that. Gautama said, The fire oblation is the chief of sacrifices. The saviti, or savitri, the chief of Vedic hymns. It's a hymn to the sun. A king, chief among human beings. The ocean, chief among rivers. The moon, chief of the zodiac signs. The sun, chief of things that burn. And for those who sacrifice, wishing for merit, the Sangha truly is chief. <laughs> so he's not saying, uh, Kenia, you're the chief of everybody, you're the best guy in the world. He's basically saying, if you wish to make a sacrifice, if you wish for merit, making sacrifice rightly is important. And that's where we had a lot of other suttas with Brahmins asking about how to make proper sacrifice, or who, to whom is most worthy to whom is the uh, to whom should I sacrifice who is most worthy uh, as I'm wishing for merit <laughs> which is no problem Gautama didn't criticize Kenya for seeking merit which means seeking rebirth with higher in higher dimensions or back to earth in opportune circumstance fortune fame and fortune or something Gautama didn't put him down for that but but that's what coiled hair ascetic wanted while Sela, the Brahmin, who didn't have any coiled hair, um, actually wanted to become an Arhat. That's sort of interesting. <laughs> Sometimes those that are extreme are out of balance, or do something that seems to be extreme actually have a corresponding hidden distortion. So, then, having expressed approval of Kenya, the coiled hair ascetic with these verses, the Blessed One got up from his seat and left. And then we have the whole section. Uh, let me just... How to do this? <laughs> it's going to be a rough one. Um, okay, so Kenya, he leaves. <clears throat> and... Uh, I guess I'm going to have to try to wrap this up. Then, Venerable Sela. And this is actually what happened after a week. Venerable Sela, together with his following, dwelling alone, secluded, heedful, ardent, and resolute, in no long time reached and remained in the supreme goal of the holy life, for which clansmen rightly go forth from home into homelessness, <clears throat> knowing and realizing it for himself in the here and now, he knew, this is a stock phrase, birth is ended, the holy life fulfilled, the task done, there is nothing further for the sake of this world, for its sake or mine. And so Venerable Shela, together with his following, became another one of the Arahants. Then Venerable Shela, together with his following, went to the Blessed One and, on arrival, arranging his upper robe over one shoulder and extending his hands palm over palm, or palm to palm, over the heart, toward the Blessed One, addressed him in verse. <clears throat> and this was the final section of uh, the Sutta. This is the eighth day since coming for refuge. One with eyes... It's term for Gautama. Blessed one, for seven nights we have tamed ourselves with your message. You, awakened. You, teacher. You, sage who has conquered Mara. You, having cut obsessions, 
having crossed over, bring this generation across. Your acquisitions transcended, your effluence was torn apart, you are a lion free of clinging, Upadana. Your fear and terror abandoned. These three hundred monks stand with hands palm to palm over the heart, extend your feet, hero. The Nagas venerate them, the feet of the teacher. <clears throat> and so um, he was uh, in much gratitude. And so that that's um, a long sutta, Sela Sutta, where again we see um, um, how rich, I see, how rich was the yogic culture of the time. You had different classes of ascetics. Uh, there was something for everyone. <laughs> uh, there were schools of uh, materialist yogins. There were schools, or this Kenya, the yogin, the, the ascetic, uh, enjoyed sensual pleasure at night and um, was a yogi by the day. Now, while Gautama, well, he didn't become an arhant here, you say. <laughs> and so, this little point that this is not all fantasy here. And although some of the phrases are stock phrases, and the whole notion of 32 physical characteristics of the great man, which I guess I won't look into because um, you can see it for yourself. I'll put the link below. Uh, is not critical. There was certainly some carry-through from mm, myths and teachings of Vedanta prior to Gautama. Mm, that, <clears throat> the, the, the portion of these suttas that seems to be embellishment or uh, stock phrasing or uh, copy and paste from some other sutta or something, it's just not important to me because there's so much critical teaching um, that um, one can get much. And these are people who are very sincere about learning and they're willing to put in the time of self-taming. And that means sitting in meditation, basically. I mean, the real taming of mind is uh, training the mind to be still and attentive. Stillness by concentration, one-pointedness by, you know, some kind of concentrative practice. That then uh, leads to stable, you know, holding the mind steady in the light or silence of mind in a steady state, as Ra said. Silence of mind in a steady state means stillness, tranquility, you know, some equanimity. Uh, samatha, uh, that then leads to insight. And these these fellows were very ready for insight. That's why it only took a week. Um, but again, uh, they came in to birth, I would imagine, because they knew a, uh, a Dhamma Chaka, uh, Chaka Vartan world, uh, Dhamma turning monarch ruler of teaching. Gautama would appear at that time. So they came in to be uh, in body during his lifetime. So that that's all I'll do for today. Again, there's so much more that can be said, but um, I think it's enough for this Sela Sutta, which is rich in its own way. So I hope this was helpful to everyone. Um, next week we will um, continue in um, 
Suttanipata 3.8 called the arrow, and um, that's a different, uh, talking about death and loss, uh, saying death and loss are inevitable, but grief is not. And so again, uh, pain is inevitable, duk is inevitable, but suffering is not, or challenge is inevitable, hardship, uh, and self-pity <laughs> uh, is not inevitable or not necessary. So, uh, I hope it was helpful. <clears throat> Please take good care of yourselves. See you next time, and good night.